someone. Always trust my gut. Hello and welcome to Gutted. I'm Elise. And I'm Tony and we're here to spill our guts about horror films. Mm -hmm. Today we will be discussing 1999's Audition, directed by Takashi Miike, written by Ryu Murakami and Daisuke Tengen. This episode will be a spill your guts episode in three acts. First, we'll have a spoiler free intro discussion, followed by a spoiler full gut spill of the film and concluding with our awards ceremony. Should we get right into it? Yeah. Uh, Tony, what is your relationship with this movie? When I was in college, I was first introduced to Takashi Miike through the film Ichi the Killer, Uh which completely floored me. I saw it actually in a class. And the class was called Intro to Narrative. It was the class in the art department, not the film department. Uh, But Mm. this class, we had to watch challenging films and then write an essay about them. And one of the first films we watched was Ichi the Killer. Mm. And um, it completely floored me. I was just, I had no idea who Takashi Miike was. I really didn't have any... um, I think this was actually, okay, so this was very soon after I'd seen Ringu. So that was my only experience with Japanese or Asian horror. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was in college, you're kind of learning about all of these different subgenres and you're kind of uh, in an exploratory mode. Yeah, like and what music do you like? What movies do you like? Totally. And you're meeting new people who know a bunch of other stuff. And that's one of the, that was one of the fun aspects of college is that, Uh, You're kind of getting these cultural inputs from all other types of people. And since I was in art school, I met people who had a certain taste. Like they, you know, they had like a maybe maybe more of like a not so mainstream. Like push the boundaries. Some people are trying to push the boundaries or, you know, art house films or, you know, stuff like that. So I watched Ichi the Killer and I was amazed by it. And naturally, I wanted to see more Takashi Miike films. I do remember you were in a big Takashi Miike phase. I did not know that's how you were introduced to him. And I do remember that you rented out one of the smaller theaters on campus and you screened Visitor Q, (laughs) which is burned into my memory. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, just quickly about that. um, Another one of my... uh, friends in college shared our interest in movies and we decided to do uh movie screenings and i was calling it the fucked up film club yeah where we would invite people to come and introduce a, a film that was quote unquote fucked up yeah I, we just wanted to watch challenging movies you know yeah. we watched visitor q we watched all kinds of uh japanese horror films which were very in and hip at the time Early 2000s horror in the U.S. I think was maybe starting to get a little stale. 
And this yeah. was actually just before all of the torture porn stuff. Yeah. Um, so but I was I was really into Japanese and Asian horror films, especially after seeing Ringu and Ichi the Killer. And then later I saw Audition. So it's been a while since I've seen it. Takashi Miike, I was looking at IMDb. He has 113 director credits. Wow. So quite a lot. Some stuff looks like um, Yakuza crime slash stuff. I mean, one of his more famous films is Dead or Alive, which I've seen, but I don't really remember. I, may, I don't think it stuck with me as much. Yeah, I looked up his IMDb credits as well, and it looks like the more recent things are a lot of TV movies and maybe more poppy kind of TV movies. Right. So yeah. he's, he's sort of all over the board, yeah. but he has a very um, distinct directing style where he's not afraid to go there, mm -hmm. right? And um, especially, you know, in Ichi the Killer, Gozu, um, the audition, sorry, audition, not the audition, yeah. just audition. Just audition. So it's really nice to uh, revisit this film after not having seen it in quite a while because it it's been quite a while since I, mm -hmm. since I was in college. Mm -hmm. But I always remembered it being really great and um i bits and parts of the movie have just kind of stuck with me and if you watch the movie you know exactly why um how about you what was your first introduction to takashi miike and to audition uh, my first introduction to Takashi Miike was probably from you because you were on that kick of, of Takashi Miike movies and I do remember watching Ichi the Killer and shortly after that I remember watching Visitor Q which if you've seen it it's it definitely belongs in that fucked up film club for <laughs> you know adolescent college kids trying to push the boundaries yeah. you're just like oh man I'm watching this <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting movie. Um, and then I thought I had seen Audition. And then as years went by, I was like, I don't think I've seen Audition. <laughs> and I kept seeing it on on movie lists, like top, you know, top 10 or top 100 scariest movie moments. Uh, and I was like, I think I've seen it. But then they would talk about certain things. I'm like, no, nah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's one of those movies that is routinely spoiled yeah. on lists. Yeah. So I actually have not, after watching it um, yesterday and today, I realized that a lot of it has not been spoiled. I did know about her her final outfit, which is spoiled by the poster. <laughs> so you know something's going to happen. She's going to wear some sort of black leather I guess you're right. If you're going into this movie blind, you probably will still get a sense of what's going to happen just by looking at the DVD cover. Yeah. And I wonder when they created that poster or that DVD cover, if that was created after it had some some snowball, some, some fame behind it. I wonder if when it first came out, if it had that poster, just because that would have spoiled it so much. <laughs> and if you look, it's based off of a book. Uh, written by Ryu Murakami. Yeah, it's based off the novel written by Ryu Murakami in, I think, 1997. And that cover of that book, it's just a girl's face. Mm. That spoils nothing. So I it must feel the like the cover of the book 
should have been what the cover of the the movie poster should have been as so as not to spoil too much because the cover that we have like she's holding the piano wire she has the black gloves on the black butcher apron like oh (laughs) i know what's gonna happen now uh but despite having that portion of it spoiled for me i was still surprised by many elements uh, including one of the the big scares in um, towards the end or in I guess the middle of the movie, yeah, which we'll go over later. Do you think that um, this movie was an inspiration for other movies like American Mary or definitely American Mary? Uh, I almost feel like her outfit in American Mary is almost this the exact same. Maybe yeah, not the and exact saw same. we when we were watching it, we were talking about like oh, this is like a pre torture porn saw yeah and also um hostile one of the um bad people in hostile wear that same kind of like rubber butchers yeah and you know what takashi Miike has an acting credit in hostile yep he has a cameo he has a little cameo i was like I oh that makes he sense plays himself he probably does play himself <laughs> I can't now, remember. it almost makes me want to watch hostile again just to see i think Takashi we did Mike. watch hostile not too long ago we did no we didn't oh <laughs> we watched many of the saw movies and the cabin fever movies but not hostile yeah yeah so i have to give I that, that eli one. roth was a big fan especially in the um so it was bravo's top 100 scariest film moments yeah it was number 11. yeah and eli roth talks about how this film shocked him. Yeah. He's like, Oh man, can you imagine just dating a, you have to like date a lot when you're in New York and you meet a lot of psychos. So this <laughs> movie really resonated with me. <laughs> it seemed like he was still in his frat bro mentality. Yeah. I don't know when that Bravo list was made. So <laughs> I don't know if he was an actual frat bro, but I don't either. <laughs> he's got a very particular personality. Very yeah. Rock. And I, I'm sorry. I don't mean to disparage frat bros. I'm sure there are really some really great frat brothers <laughs> out there. So since it has been some time since you've seen it, uh, any new thoughts that you're thinking whilst watching Audition? Well, for one, I remembered how much that I did not remember. <laughs> <laughs> so certain key scenes stick out and stay with you and mm-hmm. will never leave your brain when you see a movie like mm-hmm. this. However, there were so many other scenes and um, interactions between characters. Like I totally forgot that there was a son. Oh, and he plays a pretty pivotal role. In yeah. The movie. Shigeku. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I remember the, um, the friend, the, the like business partner, mm-hmm. uh, but I only really remember Aoyama and Asami, the two main characters and the audition scene that like actual audition scene, because it was so odd that has always stuck out to uh, me. Yeah. But a lot of the other scenes, the sort of connect the dot type scenes and the, the just sort of like character development and the slower scenes, I, I totally didn't remember as much. Yeah. Um, so, but I'm glad I rewatched it because there is a lot going on. Although The movie is, especially for today's standards, a bit slow, Mm -hmm. a bit slow paced. And a lot of the Japanese horror films actually are a bit slow paced. Like when we watched Pulse, Cairo, Mm -hmm. it had this very, very slow pace. And I I think that's great for mood building. This movie, the end scene works so much better because of the build to that. Yeah. And the contrast between the slow build and then the hit you in the face. Right. And I think you're right. If the movie just starts right out the gate with this kind of frenetic intensity, then 
the ending wouldn't be quite as impactful. Well, I think that style of movie can still work for this movie. I think that it worked great to have a contrast. Yeah, you're saying definitely. How about you? What were your thoughts while watching? When I realized that there's a movie that I have not seen that is quite popular, I intentionally save it until there's a moment that feels right because I don't want to just blow through that movie <laughs> <laughs> casually. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen Audition. Audition is my blind spot. And I know for you, you haven't seen American Psycho. So I feel like we can't just casually watch American Psycho yeah. or Audition. It has to be with a purpose. We can't be sleepy. I don't want to fall asleep halfway through and then have to finish it the next morning because yeah. it really cuts off the intensity build yeah and i like how you just casually added me as not seeing american Psycho. we all have our blind spot <laughs> we all have that one movie that's quite popular that we haven't seen and so for me it was audition and like once you see it then that's it you can't go back and unsee it same thing with american Psycho. you have to wait until you are awake you've had a nap maybe maybe some coffee you yeah fall asleep halfway through it really it ruins the the build that the director's been trying to put in place. Yeah. In our older age, especially. Yeah. The naps are important. Naps are important, especially. <laughs> not to say we're old, but I'm just saying. When <laughs> we're I, not 20 anymore. Yeah, we used to be able to, uh, well, yeah. Back in the second. day, continuing with our spoiler-free portion, we're going to go over the poster quickly and then go into the movie. Uh, so for the poster of Audition, uh, how would you rate this poster? Would you put it in your podcast room? Would you get any merch? If so, what kind of merch would you want of this poster? So on, on the poster, we have Asami in her final garb with her white dress, her black butcher apron, long black gloves, and she's holding that piano wire. And all throughout the poster, there are these little slices with blood drizzling out. This poster is... I think that's part of the piano wire. The piano wire is zigzagging around the poster and droplets of blood are dripping down. I like that there's only an image in the very top portion of the poster. I feel like that's sort of rare, but it's effective. You can get the hint that there's going to be like some sort of surgical wire. You yeah. Know, some sort of thing. But yeah, I would totally put this in my podcast room. Yeah, I like the poster. Uh, I would like an apron with this <laughs> image on it. I guess it'd be kind of like meta. So it'd be like an apron with a post or a picture of a woman wearing an apron. Yeah, that's what I want. I want an apron <laughs> because I realized that we keep saying we're going to put these posters in our podcast room, yet we have no posters in our podcast room. <laughs> so I feel like I need to move on from the poster merch and get actual merch. That well, I mean, things that yeah. I can use. We've got T-shirts and stickers on the laptop. But, yeah. you know, this is a hypothetical if we had just like a giant podcast room with tons of posters in the We're like a hallway. podcast mansion yeah yeah if we had a podcast mansion then this would go in the hallway somewhere <laughs> uh otherwise i'm getting an apron with the image on it cool uh all right getting into the synopsis all right i'll let you do the synopsis yeah yeah all right Seven years after the death of his wife, lonely widower Aoyama is asked by his teenage son why he has never remarried. Aoyama has difficulty meeting or dating women, but realizes that a new partner would greatly increase his happiness. In a conversation about his problem with his producer friend Yoshikawa, he is convinced to hold a fake audition for his next wife. While looking over the resumes and headshots, he becomes enamored by 24-year-old Asami Yamazaki, who checks off all of Ayama's boxes. Beautiful, classy, and obedient. But dating, much like the movie industry, proves to be 
like a survival game or a game of torture. That is right. Mm-hmm. And that in a way, yeah. Yeah. And so we have, we have a couple quotes from the movie in that little synopsis. So at one point, Aoyama definitely describes Asami as beautiful, classy, and obedient. That third little checkbox for him and obedient. (laughs) And she does come across as very demure and she's always, she constantly, uh, addresses him and bows. Um, and when she, when they're on dates in the cafe, she has her head down the whole time out of respect. Uh, so she does appear to be very obedient and subservient in these moments. And he's like, Oh, I like that. She's got some good attributes. (laughs) And his friend, when they're in the bar before they initially discuss having the audition, he's talking about how the movie industry isn't what it's cracked up to be. It can be like a survival game or a game of torture. Mm. And so I thought, oh, interesting how he specifically calls it a game of torture or a survival game. And that seems to almost foreshadow what's going to happen to Aoyama at the end. Right. All right. So our primary setting, we are in Tokyo, Japan in the 1990s. Wait, do we know mm-hmm. it's the 90s? It's just uh, like present day, right? It's present day. But since the movie's na- made in the 1990s, yeah. I mean, I think we can assume that it's probably within that decade of the 90s. Who are our characters? Uh, our main character, we have Aoyama. He is our widower, and he seems to be kind of like this everyman kind of character. He's very ordinary. Uh, a lot of the commentary kept calling him ordinary. He's just this regular guy. He's a nice guy. The very first scene of the movie is that moment where his wife is dying in the hospital and his son is bringing his mom a cake and it's like, get well, mommy. It's like, yeah, it's very sad. And then the next scene, he's spending some time with his son. They're fishing for dinner. When I was watching that, that scene of the son, the little boy bringing his mom that present, I thought, is this really a little girl? And this is the story of how the little girl lost her mom. I was like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> You're already in that like prediction mode. I was. I was trying to predict what was happening. Um, but no, that was Shigeko. Uh, and we fast forward to seven years later. And Yeah. Did you get any Michael Douglas vibes from Aoyama? Oh, funny. No, I didn't. But I could definitely see him as that Michael Douglas character from like Fatal Attraction. Yeah. I mean, I didn't get the exact vibe, but I couldn't help thinking about Michael Douglas and all of these erotic thrillers that we've been watching. Yeah, we have been watching a lot of Michael Douglas erotic thrillers. Right. And he always plays the everyman, the yeah. kind of nice guy. Yeah. Just looks unassuming and average. Right. Kind of nice. But yeah. doing something he shouldn't be doing. At doing the things that you're just kind of like, ooh. <laughs> right. So Aoyama is also about to do that same thing. I feel like he has good intentions, but because he then crosses that line, then it's like, okay, um, maybe he's a little deserving of what he gets. Yeah, he he gets some comeuppance. Yeah. Karma. As the writer Ryu Murakami says, it's it's karma. Uh, I guess there's a phrase in Japanese that's like, you sh- there are things that you shouldn't do because yeah. karma's going to get you. What's um, the phrase? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't catch the phrase, but he's like, it, it basically means karma. <laughs> Let me test your Japanese. <laughs> oh, man. I never took Japanese. <laughs> uh, well, anyone who speaks Japanese out there. Let us know what that phrase is. Yeah. Because uh, we don't know it. Wait, so who plays Aoyama? So. Aoyama. Played by... So Ryo Ishibashi. And Mike did say that he cast Aoyama. He used to play a lot of uh, Yakuza roles. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, I guess he was quite big in Japan as a musician. And then, and so this role was a role that was kind of unlike who he is in real life. Like yeah. he's a rock star. Yeah. And so he's kind of like more subdued in this yeah. and, and lonely. Yeah. They really emphasize how lonely he is, especially when he's in the bar with his friend, Yoshikawa, played by Jun Kunimura. I recognize Jun Kunimura, but I don't know where. I just recognized his face. I did not recognize Jun Kunimura. Maybe he was in another Takashi Miike. Oh, he was in Kill Bill Volume 1. Oh, he plays Boss Tanaka in Kill Bill Volume oh, 1. Oh my gosh. So I, yeah, I knew I had recognized him. Okay, and he's yeah. also in The Wailing, which I never saw, but would mm. like to. Uh, and then, so then we also have Asami Yamazaki, played by Elhi Shiina. She's our, she is our Did I pronounce, I don't, I'm sorry for the pronunciations, but I'm trying my best. Yeah, Asami Yamazaki, our auditioner, played by Aihi Shina. And she, in real life, is also a famous person in Japan. I think uh, she's a lot of modeling. Right, so I think Takashi Miike... When, you know, we watched an interview with Takashi Miike and he it was um, he liked these people for this role because it was so unlike who they're known as in Japan. Yeah, he didn't necessarily want a, an actress. So I think this might have been her first or one of her first acting credits. I think she played it really well because her character is almost like like there's there's like a little tick that's like off about her, you know, like if a character has like a little bit of a crazy flickering eye she totally yeah. has that look yeah like a, some, it almost looks like she's like stoned the whole time or something. like a very slight almost like antisocial tick about her right so just you could see the all over her face that something is slightly off <laughs> and initially you think oh she's lonely too she's just an awkward person she's just like aoyama they're just both these awkward people these lonely people floating through life and they yeah. meet in a very rom-com kind of style, like, let's hold these auditions for the perfect woman. <laughs> it's all innocent enough, right? Uh, yeah. So we also have the son, Shigehiko. The son, Shigehiko Aoyama, played by Tetsu Sawaki. Uh, and he, I do not recognize from anything. So those are our four main characters. Yeah, and it's really just those four characters. We yeah. don't, we see, we have some other characters, but they're, they play pretty small roles. Yeah. And so when we meet the producer friend, Yoshikawa, uh, the two of them are in a bar. So Aoyama and Yoshikawa are in a bar. They're discussing loneliness, how it's been seven years since Aoyama's wife died. And Yoshikawa is kind of bemoaning his lack of success in the production world of film. And he's like, yeah, movies are like, or the film industry is like a survival game or a game of torture. So he's not completely happy in his life as well. Yeah, it was his son who was, you know, they were just casually talking over dinner after they had spent the day together, who said like, you're looking old. Why haven't you ever remarried? And that yeah. kind of like triggered something in Aoyama, like, hmm, maybe I should. If my teenage son told me that I, sh I should remarry, yeah. I should get on this. Yeah. So his producer friend Yoshikawa is like, well, let's hold some auditions and meet some ladies. It'll be for a fake movie and we'll get all their pictures, their headshots. We'll have the age range be between 20 and 30. Right. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. He didn't typical. have that idea out of nowhere, though. Um, Aoyama was saying he's like, I would like to meet my ideal woman. I wish I could 
meet them all and um and judge them all beforehand and then oh, pick like, the best one. Did he like say that. something like he wanted to like, you know, see their resume or something? Yeah, he's like, I he's like, I wish I could um see all of the women and then choose my ideal. In a way, we kind of have that now with dating apps. Yeah. We're allowed to see everyone's resume, their credentials <laughs> uh, in the dating world before we meet them. Yeah. So it's like we are always having these real life auditions <laughs> if we're dating in the dating world. Yeah. Online dating and, world. You know, we've been together for a long time, so we haven't really experienced that yeah. online dating world. But for those who have gone through that, would you say that it is a form of torture? I've heard yeah. some pretty bad stories. Yeah. Is it like a survival game or a game of torture? Do you feel like you're <laughs> constantly going on one audition after another? We do really get a sense of the characters in the film being lonely. And I, you know, I this isn't the first time I've heard about uh, people in Tokyo, um, in Japan, but in Tokyo, you know, it's such a big city mm -hmm. where people have to work very hard and they're going about their lives, but they're is like a, a loneliness that uh, you see this in other movies and pop culture when they're talking about Tokyo. Like it's a theme that comes up. And you know what? I do think in, in Tokyo, yes, but in large metropolitan cities in general, it's almost like the irony of being surrounded by people, but being alone. Right. And I think that is something that happens because you are just go, go, go all the time. You're rushing to the next place. You're rush rushing to your job, rushing to get home, going through traffic. And you realize that you haven't actually taken any time to observe the people around you who might be just as lonely. Right. And we have that example in the office with Aoyama. He has, I think, an assistant who obviously likes him. And she's trying to drop little hints to make him jealous or to make him... Uh, just to notice her. Just to notice her. She's like, yeah. oh, I'm going to get married. He's like, oh, okay, cool. She's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she he just, doesn't even move his head. He yeah. doesn't even look up. And so there are a couple moments with this poor secretary who, who likes him and he doesn't even notice her. And the two of them are both obviously lonely, but too busy or blind to connect. Yeah. And I think he um, is in a way envious of his son being full of youth and being able to meet someone on the train and then bring them home and have dinner. Yeah. He's like, I found, I met her on the train. Isn't she cute? And so easy for him. If you just see someone on the train that you think is cute, just go up to them and invite them back home. <laughs> and that's something that Aoyama is not at the age where he can do that or so he thinks. Yeah. And Asami, like her character just, um, seems like somebody who is lonely in a way. Yeah. On one of their first dates, she's like, oh, I have no one to talk to. Uh, sometimes I just sit at home and do nothing. And then we do get a clip of her later, just a little hint of her just waiting by the phone for Aoyama to call her. And at first you're like, oh, she's just waiting for him to call her. But what's this big laundry bag right next to her? <laughs> she's a giant laundry bag that she's been neglecting, not doing her laundry the, I don't know, the paper on her walls is peeling. Yeah, we get our first scare. It's like a, like a, just a little jump and a growl. And you're just like, oh shit. I mean, you know, there's a body in there. So, okay. <laughs> so that scene in particular, um, when she's just, I don't know if they had a couple scenes of her waiting for it by the phone. 
I think they had a couple scenes of her waiting by the phone. It mm. wasn't just the one. So the first scene we see of her just waiting by the phone because she says that she, that he'll call her. So she waits. You're like, oh man. Yeah. Girl, she's, don't wait. she's not just like sitting in a chair waiting next to the phone. She's on the floor, slumped over her hair, just like all like, you know, draped towards the floor. Yeah. You see the you see her spinal column on of her back just because her whole body is hunched over just from prolonged waiting by the phone. <laughs> you're like, oh no, girl, you gotta get out and have some self-respect. Yeah, her place looks pretty derelict. And you know, it is before before a lot of cell phones. I mean, there might have been some cell phones, but before everyone had a cell phone. So you had to wait by your phone, your landline. <laughs> and at the advice of his producer friend, who's like, don't call her. And let me look into her first. Something was off about her. And I was like, why is she saying that? Her audition was fine. Hold on. Let's back up to this audition scene. <laughs> so the audition scene uh, after Aoyama's like, all right, let's do it. Let's find my perfect woman. And Yoshikawa gives him all of the applicants, all of the applications, the headshots and the resumes. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, they each had to write a composition for why they're interested in this fake movie part. Yeah. Ugh, terrible. Is that what auditions were like in Japan? <laughs> Way too much effort for minimal chance of even getting the part. And so he goes through, looks at all the pictures and the compositions, and he gets to Asami's. And he's like, oh, I'm so taken with her because she's so dark and brooding and so young. She talks about how... He did have a certain type. He wanted the his next wife to be young. Like the, He's probably, I would say, in his 50s. He's 42, I think. 40s? Yeah. Okay, but he looked like he's maybe in his pushing 50. According to the novel, I think he's 42. Okay, but he's got a 17-year-old son, so I guess that makes And they did sense. have that comment where he's like, oh, 24, she's closer to my age. Right. Yeah, Shigeko's age. So, he, yeah, he's he's looking for a younger woman. I mean, typical. You do get a sense of, like, he seems like a nice guy, but there's, like, something creepy about the whole yeah. situation. And, you know, some of these might just be cultural um, but I don't think they are like totally just cultural specific. I think that there's, there's also just like something that's wrong with this guy. Yeah. So <laughs> like it's, it's almost like, like his loneliness blinds him. We're separated by this being a product of its time and also a product of perhaps the culture in which it was made. Um, but there are some things about this guy that aren't completely moral. I guess we could argue that perhaps he was almost influenced by his friend who obviously has looser morals than he does. Right. Like it wasn't his idea. It was his, it was the friend's idea. Right. And we do get the impression that Yoshikawa is the one that's like, whatever, I don't care. I'll do whatever. <laughs> and Aoyama is the one that's like, all right, I guess. But also he's not objecting because I think he is so motivated by not being lonely anymore. He's willing to sacrifice perhaps some of his morals right. to have this big audition, to hoodwink all these women. Right. And that brings us to our audition scene. So you said that this scene stuck with you and you remembered this scene. Just because, okay, this scene stuck with me because of the way that it was shot. Um, the movie, when like the, you know, the first couple scenes, it's like we, we have like the, um, it's like the sad scene of the mom dying. And then it's like this kind of heartwarming scene of the father and son. And then it's a scene where it's like you feel kind of like, I don't know, you're supposed to feel the character's loneliness or mm -hmm. his sadness. 
And then we have this really happy, upbeat, the lighting changes and the music changes and uh, almost like a rom-com. It's like a rom- rom-com montage yeah. of uh, of like a speed dating scene or something yeah. like that. And what's so interesting is that none of them read any lines from any script. I was like, what kind of audition is this? Right. They, they're just having to tell a little bit about themselves and the two producers ask them. Actually, it's really just the friend asking them random questions. But yeah. the thing that's kind of disturbing about the scene is that um, so it's shot and it's it's in this like rom-com happy music montage way. But the things that are being asked of the girls are sometimes a little too personal. They're, every single thing is way too personal. Like, tell me about your relationship with your parents. Why? Yeah. So it has <laughs> this kind of creepy undertone to it. And there are some girls who are getting down into their underwear. One girl actually gets nude. She gets totally nude. She might be wearing underwear and heels. And but... there's no explanation. So you're just thinking to yourself like, OK, um, it is a bit creepy that these girls are willing to do a lot of different things to get this part. Yeah. And us knowing that it's a fake movie, then it's it just shows like the the sort of control and manipulation that these two male characters have over these female auditioners. Yeah. And like because they're they are asking questions about their sex life as well. Like, are you willing to have sex with somebody that you don't like? And like, what kind of question is that? And I guess at certain points, Aoyama does look like he feels uncomfortable, but it's not even like he feels uncomfortable for the women. It's more like he feels uncomfortable for himself. He's like, oh, can't believe they would do that. Well, he says at one point, I feel like a criminal. All right, let's do this. He does say that? <laughs> he okay, says that good. right before they get started. All right, well, at least he feels so it's like he has a, a little bit of moral conscience, but he's still doing it. He's desperate. Because he's driven by his loneliness. Yeah, he's so blinded by being lonely. He can't take it. <laughs> All right. Little side note, the the writer of the novel did say, this scene is like the theme of the movie. If you hold auditions for a girlfriend, you'll be killed. Uh, you'll get bad karma because the world around us is not so easy. Right. Uh, so this audition scene is kind of like this, I think, is how he thought of the book. Like, what if I held an audition for a girlfriend? That sounds like a great idea, but I'll probably get bad karma if I do that. So <laughs> it's almost like a like a teenage boy's thinking of how to get a girlfriend. Yeah. Like, how do I get a girlfriend? I know I'll hold auditions right. for a fake movie <laughs> and then I'll put soda in all the drinking fountains. You know, yeah. I have a feeling that this has happened before this movie was ever a thing, a sort sure. of fake audition. And then the director, producer, whoever just tries to meet. Yeah, meet I'm, people. I'm sure this has happened. And in yeah. the the mind of a 90s, 1990s male in the dating world, they're probably thinking, that's nothing wrong with this. I'm just holding a fake audition and then I'm getting to know them after. I mean, I never had thought that even when I saw this. I mean, well, I saw this good. in 2002. Okay, I, just, I don't know anymore. <laughs> no, it's it's off and it's, it's okay, wrong. Okay, good. It's I'm glad to so, hear that you thought this was off in, in 2003. You kind of get a sense of what's coming to this character and you know that what he's doing is wrong mm -hmm. and is bad. So that's why it makes you feel a little uncomfortable because he does seem like a nice guy. Yeah. And um, even in this scene, it's like shot in a way where it seems like it's kind of fun and, you know, everyone's having a good time. But there it, is that under 
lying sense of that this is this is creepy like it definitely is. yeah it definitely throws you because the happiness of the music combined with just the perverseness of the whole scene you're just like oh anyway we'll move on the whole audition scene creepy uh, <laughs> And of course, we end with Asami coming in and she's very demure and she sits down. She's very polite. She talks a little bit about her ballet and how actually Aoyama, he, because he like memorized her composition. He's like, oh, so you used to do ballet, right? And you can't do it anymore, right? So he's bringing up these painful memories of her past and just throwing them in her face. And you can see that she's kind of taken off guard. She's like, oh yeah, that did happen. I guess I'll tell you about it, even though I didn't really intend to. Yeah, just interesting. Do you do you think that um, her going to this audition, she's looking for another victim, or is she looking for someone to care about her, and she just has kind of like a psychotic mind? You know, and ends up finding a victim. You know, that is an interesting question. Does she go in search of a victim? Hmm. Is she an actress? Yeah. Well, her story is flimsy. And her she's lying story about is flimsy. Basically. She is a liar. So you know. I don't know. Maybe at the end, I'll have an answer for you. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that question at the end of this podcast. So after the audition, uh, Aoyama does contact Asami for a date and they go on a date and they're having a good time, that nice cordial conversation. And he's like, okay, I'll call you. I'll be in touch. Then after the date is over, Yoshikawa, the friend is like, you know, I didn't get a good feeling about her. Don't contact her anymore until I can find out more information. I tried calling her music producer that she worked for, Shibata, and I can't find him. He's been missing for a year. So that's like the first red flag. We're like, uh-oh. Aoyama, he is totally blind in love by this point. He doesn't care. He's like, mm, I'm sure it's fine. He found his ideal woman. Yeah. And he does go on another date with her. And I noticed that her apparel, her wardrobe changes slightly. On a subsequent date, she is still wearing a white dress. But on top of that, a giant red coat, like a feather boa <laughs> coat. This is like the most, I don't know, jarring red coat I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, you know, fashion in Japan is is uh, pushing the boundaries for sure. I just thought it was interesting that in the beginning we see her in all these pure white outfits. Yeah. And then this is like, ha, in your face. She just wants a... to show how fun and how cool she is. Mm. Yeah. How rebellious I don't know, but it was a very striking, very striking red coat. And she has an excuse for why Shibata went missing. She's like, actually, I never met him. I lied to make myself sound more impressive. So I'm yeah. sorry that that contact didn't go through. Her lines during the date almost seem practice or scripted. Mm -hmm. Like she had been working on a story and she'd memorize the story. Yeah. So when she tells the story about like, oh, I have nobody to talk to because I don't know exactly what she says. Yeah, but. she does have a line that's like, I'm so lonely. I have no one to talk to. I She's just, like, you're the first person to support me. And some of these, I wonder if they are kind of like, you know, lost in translation. I thought maybe that meant something else. Like you're the first one to actually believe me i don't know what that meant but he's totally enamored by yeah him. and then in between a couple of the dates when he really does try to hold off on calling her because yoshikawa's like really don't call her just let me look into this more and so he does he waits a few days and that's when we get the little clips of asami waiting by her phone with mm -hmm. her completely bent over you can see her spine because she's so hunched over and you see the giant laundry bag in the background and you're just like 
what's in there? It does look like a body. And then finally, Aoyama breaks down and calls her. The phone rings and she doesn't spring to answer it right away. She lets it ring again and again. <laughs> and this is when we get one of the creepiest scenes to me that really stood out to me. The camera kind of zooms in on her face and you can see it's just enveloped in her hair like curtains. And as her head slowly rises, like the curtain of her hair kind of parts a little bit and you see the tiniest little smile start to form on her mouth and her eyes just get really black and glinty like she has a sneaky idea. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this girl's sneaky. <laughs> She has a malicious plan. It was one of the most sinister little smiles I've ever seen. Oh, man. And then the body bag just went, whoa, and it like growled or something. Just like the sound of the body bag turning over. You're like, oh, my God. And it wasn't quite a jump scare, but it was frightening. It was. I actually gasped when we watched it. I was like, oh. Yeah. (laughs) Even though I knew there was a body in there. I was like, there's a body in there. I thought I was dead. I thought there was a body, but I didn't think it was a live body. Oh, <laughs> shocking. It's yeah. just that buildup mm-hmm. of um, something's not right. Something's off, even though it's almost, yeah, you're, you were saying that it had this sort of like rom-com type feel to yeah. the movie. But yeah, I mean, I think that the, the pacing of the film is um, definitely intentional. It gives you a contrast to that last 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And what did you think? About the movie feeling like a rom-com at this point. I mean, you know, it's not going to be a love story. Just, you know, because you know audition, you you know the poster. So you know that whatever you're seeing in the beginning, it's going to take a turn. Yeah. And when we, I saw that moment with the, the bag move, I was like, okay, this is it. This is like when you're on a roller coaster and you're going up the roller coaster to get to the peak and you're about to go down. It's like, this is the point where you're almost at the top and you're about to just fly down this roller coaster. <laughs> That's what that scene was to me. And but did we start flying down the roller coaster at that point? It's like, we were still going up. It was like a little fake out bump. Yeah. You know, because then before you know it, he's telling his son that I'm going to take her away for the weekend and we're, I'm going to propose. Yeah. Like you just met her. This guy had multiple outs at certain points and red flags that he was just blatantly ignoring or just like, I can handle it myself. Like he kept telling his friend, I wasn't born yesterday. I'll take care of this myself. You know, what? it's kind of like when you get an email from the prince of Egypt and they're like, hey, you are my long lost heir. I want to give you all this money. Just send me your bank account information. And you're like, oh, man, that'd be great if this was real. <laughs> did you did you fall for that gag? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I'm just I hope saying you didn't fall for that gag. I'm just saying when those emails started circulating in the early aughts, you're like, oh, could this be real? I mean, now we all know they're not real. But I get what you're trying to say, but I hope that nobody has fallen. <laughs> I'm sure somebody has fallen for that. Yeah, that's true. And if, if you are watching or listening that you've fallen for that, then I'm sorry, but I could see how that could happen. <laughs> or maybe not the email thing, because we all know by now that those aren't real. But right. something else where you're like, oh man, this is too good to be true, but it might be true. There's that (laughs) small percent where it is true. 
So maybe I should take a chance yes, and do it. So I think that's what Ayoma is doing the whole time. It's like, he's like, this 24 year old is really into me. It's a long <laughs> shot, but it might be true. So I'm willing to keep giving this more chances. Right. Even though there are myriad red flags being thrown in my face. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he takes her away for the weekend and that's when... She shows him the scars <gasps> on her leg. Yeah. She's like, look at my scars. You must love me, all of me, and only me. And she reiterates this several times. She's like, really? I mean it. You have to love only me. He says, yes, I will love only you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no backing out now, buddy. Yeah, you're locked in. So then the movie starts to take a little bit of a turn stylistically. Oh, wait, because, hold on, really quick, just about the scars. She does, that's when she does kind of reveal to him that she was um, victimized when she was younger. Right. And we do get little clips here and there of her, her torture when she was younger, I think by her uncle. And he has these, I think, hibachi prongs that he has in scalding hot coals. And then he makes her dance ballet and then he burns her. Mm -hmm. uh, so she kind of lets him know. She opens up. Uh, she's very vulnerable with him. And she tells him about her past trauma. And he accepts it. He acknowledges it. And he, you can tell that he really cares for her. So the next morning he wakes up and she's gone. And he can't find her. So that's when he goes on his little expedition to figure out where could she be? I know a couple things about her. She used to work at this one bar called Stonefish and she used to live at this one place. Mm -hmm. So she go, he goes to the one place where she used to live and that's where he finds the creepy uncle who's still there. He's in a boarded up kind of derelict dance studio. Yeah. And he kind of does confirm. Yep. I did that stuff. And I almost the like, uncle yeah. also has these um, sort of like prosthetic feet. Yes. Prosthetic feet that are just nailed to some wooden boards. Right. Like, oh, he has no feet. It looks like they were made of clay or something. Yeah. Clay on wood. So that's pretty creepy. Pretty creepy. Yeah. And then he goes to the stonefish bar and he finds a tenant there who's like, oh, no, that bar closed down like a year ago. The owner was murdered and it was quite a mess. And he says something like, oh, yeah, she was murdered. But what was odd was when the people tried to put her body back together, they found a tongue, an extra tongue and three extra fingers. And like, <laughs> oh, interesting. I did think it was interesting that the owner of the bar was a woman who was killed. He said, oh, it's some sort of argument about man at a music studio that she was seeing. And I was like, oh, there's her contact. There's... Asami's contact at the music studio. Yeah. So there was like a jealous tussle and she killed the woman at the bar. Yeah. And that then, story is pretty chilling. Yeah. In trying to find her, he's starting to assemble her backstory and how the story that she told him didn't quite line up with mm -hmm. what is actually happening. And it was kind of, it's almost like she was telling um, like a, like a half truth. Yeah. So she did actually go to that bar and she did actually go to this other place. But yeah. It wasn't exactly as she had said it was. Yeah. And so now he's starting to learn her true nature. He knows that something's off at this point. Mm -hmm. He goes back home, but she gets there before he does. And um, she hears on the on the voicemail, you know, the the voice the voice message machine. What do you call those things? The answer the machine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> relic of the past relic of the plant yeah so yeah she hears on the answering machine that the son is going to be at a friend's house for the night 
Yeah, she's uh, like, oh, perfect. Yeah. The camera even does this shot where it looks at the ex-wife and you can just tell from the camera movement that it was like there was like jealousy in the camera movement. Yeah, she's like, was... you had an ex-wife. <laughs> I don't care that she died seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the camera then points at his whiskey, which he had been drinking every night. At the end yeah. Of his day. And so, of course, he dives into that whiskey and within seconds, he starts getting kind of blinky and his blinky. he's blinking a lot and his motor movements of his fingers are all off and he's kind of getting kind of twitchy. Yeah. So now, yeah, we are moving into the final act. Yeah. We're at the end of the film. We are at the top of our roller coaster. We already know like what's going to go down and we have already figured out by this point that Asami is not who she says she is. And he has just kind of figured it out, but I think he's maybe in denial. He stands up and as he's falling back down towards the ground, we flash into a dream montage. When I saw that actor falls, like, wow, that was a great fall. He's yeah. From, from a full stand and just flops back. Stiff as a board, just yeah. flops straight back. And I wondered if that was actually the actor or like a stuntman. But either way, it was a great fall. Good fall. Whoever did it. <laughs> yeah. And he goes into this little dream montage where he's you can tell that his subconscious is putting together all of these clues and maybe filling in the gaps. Mm -hmm. And when we watch the commentary with Takashi Miki, he's like, oh, yeah, it's getting some of her memories and some of his p p filling in the gaps. But I kind of took that as. Perhaps they really were so intertwined and he really was. He really did feel so connected to her that he was able to accurately fill in these gaps. Mm. And I was kind of thinking maybe it was um, he was so enamored by her that when they went on their dates, he was hearing one thing, kind of what he wanted mm. to hear. But then he's flashing back and hearing more of what she actually was telling him. Yeah, he's like, oh, wait, she did tell me that, but I blocked that out at the time. Yeah, she was talking about um, suicide, about being abused. Mm -hmm. And it was the same exact scene as before where they're on a date. Yeah. Um, but things are just slightly different and the conversation is slightly different. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit darker. Yeah. And what I thought was kind of interesting and creepy was that he's going through these scenes. So they're on their second date and then the ex-wife is there and she's telling him like, she's no good for you. She's no good for you. And then yeah. we start to kind of get this interchanging amongst Asami, the ex-wife, the office worker in different uh, situations. Every woman that's been in his life throughout the movie yeah. is in this montage. And every single woman that he's encountered or had a conversation with is trying to pleasure him uh orally so at first asami goes for his pants and tries to unbuckle him and then when he looks down again it's not asami anymore it's his office worker right it's his assistant and she's like you don't remember at the christmas party i thought you liked me i thought you wanted more and that's when he's kind of like realizing oh my gosh yeah this person who i've seen day in day out and have ignored actually has noticed me and then we see his son's girlfriend shows up at one point and like ew come on dude <laughs> well I, I took that as all of the 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 bad and the dark side of his of himself is coming out mm -hmm. where it's like yeah he did something bad to his co-worker where he slept with her and then basically like ignored her yeah. afterwards he was maybe lusting after his son's mm -hmm. girlfriend uh, he's clearly into younger girls. Yeah. 
Um, he, he feels guilty about dating a new person and that's why his wife is there on the date as well yeah. with his family. So this nice everyman facade is kind of fading in this, in his subconscious dream sequence. Yeah. It's like the one area where you can't hide. And then we do see what is inside the big laundry bag. It is a body and the body comes scurrying out. And it's this part, this man with long hair. And Takashi Miki explained in the commentary that this is Shibata, the mm. producer who was having a relationship with the owner of the bar and who Asami murdered. And then she kept Shibata in this bag and she feeds him by vomiting into a bowl and giving that to Shibata, who has <laughs> no tongue, no feet, missing three fingers and an ear. And in the commentary, Takashi Miki said that, you know, that was all her vomit. She's quite method. I don't know if he was being serious. You think he was joking? <laughs> he had to have been joking. No, I don't know. Because that that's like really disturbing if she is actually vomiting into a dog bowl. And then he and ate feeding it. it to this actor. And I don't know. And he's agreeing to this as well. Well, Takashi Mika, he's he's a he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. But take that how you will, listeners. Takashi Mika said that that was her vomit. She wanted to do that. To me, that came off as sarcasm. I don't know. It was translated. <laughs> how could you take that as sarcasm? <laughs> oh no. Because we did not hear Takashi Mika say it. We heard his his interpreter say it. Yeah. And that uh, scene, um, even to today's standards, is very much a creep out scene. It's so creepy. Just the the disfiguration of her captive and the fact that he comes out just to eat a bowl of vomit. He doesn't look like he's like crying out for pain. No, he, looks he like actually looks like, like he's enjoying it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, like he's enjoying being her dog. Yeah, there's some sort of depraved yeah. and pleasure I get, out of this. And Miki was saying that you can't understand him and it's not translated in any language on the DVD. But what he's trying to say is feed me, feed me. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very disturbing, very scene. disturbing. And then I this think this is still part of the this dream is sequence. all still part of the dream sequence. I think shortly after that, he kind of um, he comes to reality and he wakes up and he sees I he sees Asami getting ready in the other room and she's wearing her iconic black leather apron and her black gloves. gloves that go all the way up to her bicep mm -hmm. and they are cinched with like these rubber bands yes and the interesting thing about this next this like final act mm -hmm. um so yeah this this really is the payoff for the whole movie we get a transition from a dream sequence that has different cuts and you kind of don't really know what's going on and different characters are playing different people and all this sort of stuff to a shot that is just one shot with very minimal edits, mm -hmm. pretty much shot in real time of her laying out her tools very methodically grabbing. She, she has some acupuncture needles She's got a um, little syringe, a giant syringe with a drug that can paralyze him, but still allow him to feel everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike said that they made up that drug. He's like, I don't know if that drug actually exists, but it does for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and she's explaining to him as a psychotic person would do exactly what she is going to do to him. And then she does it almost like a doctor. She has this affect and this 
tone of voice that seems very soothing, like a doctor would have. Like, mm -hmm. okay, don't worry. This is what we're going to do. I have given you this serum that will allow you to feel all the pain. Because uh, <laughs> that's when we can figure out what kind of man you really are, is when you feel all pain. It's like, now let me just inject you in the tongue with some stuff. Yeah. Here. Yeah, and I'm going to put these little acupuncture needles into the most painful areas of your body. And I'm going to say this really soothing little phrase, like, kikiri, 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 kikiri. <laughs> that little that little sound. And I guess Mike said it's it's like an onomatopoeia when you're going like deeper and you're trying to like ease the pain. Mm -hmm. You go, kikiri, 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 kikiri. <laughs> so creepy. It's very disturbing. Very disturbing. That was on our DVD title screen and I was in the other room and I was like, what does it sound? I thought someone was like in the house because I kept hearing kitty 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 kitty. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I turned the DVD on. <laughs> Whew, creepy. I love, yeah, how they do have the the first when she's laying him out onto the tarp, the camera is pulled way back, but kind of askew, almost like it's like a security footage camera. Mm -hmm. Like you're you just happen to be a fly on the wall. And if you were a fly on the wall, this is the exact angle that you would have. And then as she gets closer to him and she puts the needles into his body and his face. And you could tell she's going way deeper than an acupuncturist would go. I know. She's not skilled. She's not licensed in acupuncture. She's not jamming them in there. She's putting them in slowly. Very so slowly and twisting them. torture and his pain. But it's okay because she's saying, kikiri, kikiri, kikiri. And then she proceeds to put them in his eyelids and yeah. you're just like, oh. And this is one of my favorite camera angles is like the camera is like his face and we feel like we are Aoyama in this moment and we just see her face full on looking so sweetly at us. And she's at, gleeful. She's so gleeful and sweet and she's like twisting these needles into his eyelids. And for the third one, she actually closes her eyes like it feels good good for her to do this <laughs> oh you're like oh man she's crazy i loved it <laughs> and she says something to him she says you guys collect many girls from auditions you make them fail then you contact them later when you want sex you're all the same this is how she rationalizes what she's doing this is just pure and sweet revenge but i really think she just likes it well she is completely she's a tormented soul she was a ballet dancer seven years old abused by her uncle so you think that her psychosis was created yes people who become people who are abused become abusers mm -hmm. and yeah this little girl if she had a good upbringing she probably would have grew up to become a ballet dancer yeah and she did say to her uncle right before she piano wired his head off in the dream sequence uh <laughs> she said i never felt unhappy because i've been unhappy all the time so kind of to say that she wouldn't know the difference she doesn't know what happiness is yeah because she's only ever known unhappiness so she's totally just enacting the pain upon others that she felt that, as a child that she felt her her as a child but her whole life yeah yeah um and somehow, as she got older, she began to enjoy the pain that she began to inflict. Right. And so it's kind of like, where does the cycle end? She just keeps, it just keeps going. Um, but you definitely do get the sense that when she's inflicting pain, it makes her feel better. It's like a release for her. Yeah. And the actress portrayed that very well. You're like, oh, she, this feels good for her. <laughs> <laughs>
And uh, we get to feel Aoyama's pain as well. He's like doing a paralyzed twitch where his fingers are really twitchy. Yeah. Uh, he can kind of scream out a little bit, but he can't really. He scream. can't vocal. He can't really articulate. He can maybe make some guttural sounds, but he can't call out for help. It's kind of like when you're a viewer and you're watching a movie and you just go. Yes. And we watched this. That's what he's doing the whole I time. I know. We watched this twice now in the past 24 hours. And both times I was just like, I was, my fists were clenched when she gets that piano wire and she wraps it very gently around one of his ankles. She says, this wire can cut through flesh and bone. Kind she of says, like, this wire can cut through flesh and bone easily. And so she wraps it around his ankle and she starts to... I don't know what that word is. She starts to pulley his yeah. ankle and you don't see very much of the foot. You do see the foot being sliced through just enough. But what you mainly see is her face. And you hear the sound. It's the like, sound. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Her face combined with the sound effects of the the friction of the wire being pulled and turned over and over again more and with rapid succession. Until finally the wire snaps free and you just know what that means. There's no more foot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that scene. But wasn't this your um, one of your favorite moments? I loved this scene because right after that foot comes off, the camera again goes even more removed. It's like the fly on the wall couldn't take it and the fly went outside. And so now we're from <laughs> outside the sliding glass window and we're just watching her without sound. We see the profile of her face still smiling with glee and she takes the foot and she casually tosses it against the window and then she gets ready and braces herself for foot number two. <laughs> She just, I loved her in this scene. <laughs> and Mike said, I did not give her direction in this scene. Gave her very little direction. <laughs> that smile, that glee on her face, that's all her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's uh, cutting off the second foot. Then the son returns home mm -hmm. and uh, finds his dad. And it's like, what's going on, dad? And you know, dad's like trying to call out to him like, oh, oh. Yeah, and she scurries away quickly, but grabs like a little vial of a spray. We have to just guess that it's like chloroform spray. I was just like, wait, is that hairspray? Like, is that... You thought it was perfume? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna make you smell good. Because <laughs> <laughs> she kind of sprays the air a little bit. And she's like... <sighs> just to make sure it works. Like, yeah. Tss, tss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She scurries off and she is behind Shigeku and... Dad's trying to signal to him with his eyes bulging at him. And he finally turns around just in time to see her. And he runs. She sprays the air. She chases after him. He runs upstairs. And there's a moment where he looks at her and she kind of does like this little like body tilt, like a Michael Myers body tilt. <laughs> like Michael Myers has the head tilt, but she has like the whole body tilt. And that's I, the tilt of a psychopath. That sure. is to show that you're you're mentally tilted. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're just mentally Im imbalanced at all times. And so is your body. Yeah. And then we get our final spritz of the air. He kicks her and she flies backwards with such force all the way down the stairs. And yeah. We and you see her neck is just like bulging. So she she clearly broke her neck. She's looking out towards Aoyama. Yeah. And he's looking at her mm -hmm. and uh, it's almost as if they're longing for each other. So yeah. it's like he's still, despite all of what she did to him, still wants to be with her. There's still a chance. A There's still a chance yeah. that she's not, <laughs> not crazy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, sun saves the day. And uh, it just kind of ends. Well, I mean, it ends on um, another sort of dream sequence. Yeah. It's like the power of youth, save the day. Yeah. And um, and then and then, yeah, that's it. We we can assume that Aoyama survives the night. And oh the yeah. Sun saves him. I mean, I, I think we can assume that Aoyama survives. He's just missing a foot and has a lot of needles in his in his chest and eyeballs. Yeah. But he's essentially gonna live. Uh, but I did find it interesting that it ends with him kind of hallucinating that she is speaking sweet nothings to him. And it's dialogue that was said earlier in the film on one of their dates when happier times had occurred. And she's just like, Oh yeah, i I immediately felt your warmth wrap me up. And you supported me. He's like, oh, and he's crying. Like, I miss you. I missed you before I knew that you were insane. <laughs> and now he's back on the dating market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So audition two coming up. <laughs> that last 15 minutes of the movie really has you kind of tensed up the entire time. It's really the payoff for the whole film. Yeah. She gets her revenge, although she is thwarted. Who are you rooting for here? Are you rooting for Aoyama? Are you rooting for Asami? Yeah, it's like the whole fatal attraction conundrum. Are you rooting for Alex? Yeah. Are, are you rooting for Glenn Close? Or are you rooting for Michael Douglas? I think you are rooting for Aoyama because he's the one who's being tortured. But yeah. then you're also thinking like, all right, this is this is karma. This is like you brought this upon yourself, buddy. Yeah, and you, you had also several outs, all the red flags. Yeah, and your friend. Yeah, who told you don't call her? <laughs> I mean, the friend was not the best influence in the first place, but still, he tried to help you. Yeah, she's a psychopath, but also like she had a tragic upbringing. Yeah, and then the final shot of the film is the her as a little girl lacing up her ballet slipper. Yeah, and so it's almost like okay, well maybe she's finally been released from the pain of her trauma and she gets to perpetually just be this little girl that wanted to do ballet. Mm. So maybe that's how she, that's how she nice gets little metaphor. There yeah. That's how she gets to be freed in the end is that she gets to perpetually be the little girl that wanted to do ballet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, shout out to the funky end credits. It's like really happy music. He's done that before. So he did that with One Missed Call, which is one of my favorite Japanese horror films. Uh, I know everyone loves Ringu, but I really like One Missed Call because yeah, it does have this really odd ending. And the credits are just super happy and poppy. And you're like, huh, that's different. Maybe it's got to bring you out of such a heavy, intense moment. Yeah, and just jar you out. Yeah. Like, okay, and we're done. I think I have seen movies like that before where it's like a really heavy ending and you you just feel like totally floored by it. And then they continue with almost like a non-score. Yeah. Or like a, just like ethereal sounds or and something And you're forced like that. to sit with it and for you, the yeah, remainder just, of the credits. You're just like, uh, what did I just watch? And Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like a gift from Takashi Miike that he allowed us to like just jump out of that immediately. Like, it's a movie. It's All done. Right. <laughs> Don't hate me. <laughs> yeah. Apparently Takashi Miike, when he was making this, he wanted it to end before the torture. Mm. And then producers were like, nope, you got to put it in. He's like, fine. <laughs> and then in the book, I guess she cuts off both feet. In the script, she cut off no feet. So he kind of split the difference. Mm. So he cut off one foot. Well, it's like one and a half. One and a half feet. Yeah. yeah. The other one will be fine. 
just needs. It's going to have some ligament damage for sure. He'll need a, some crutches. <laughs> He'll need one of those clay feet on the wooden plank kind of thing. <laughs> so I know we talked a little bit earlier uh, that it reminds us, the outfit reminds us of American Mary. But mm. did this remind you of any other movies? Uh, yes, I was definitely thinking about Misery the whole time. <gasps> yes. Especially with the foot fetish, the foot play. The foot play. They weren't really playing with the feet. It's more just like <laughs> the psychopath was. I will with take your feet so you can never leave me. Yeah. Very symbolic of I will literally make it so you can't run away. You can crawl <laughs> away and that's it. Uh, I was definitely thinking about Saw and Hostel. I really do feel like this is like proto Saw. This is like one of those inspirations for the onslaught of the torture porn movies that came in 2004 and after. Yeah. And I think Japanese horror films are um, like, this isn't the first of this kind. No. Japanese horror films have been historically quite brutal. Mm -hmm. I think the guinea pig series, which is definitely so like if you're if you're talking about portrait torture porn, as we've named that era of Post Saw and Hostile Tarista mm -hmm. Eli Roth style of horror movies, um, where it's kind of glorifying or focusing in on the torture of victims way before this movie as well. Oh, I think I remember you making me watch a part of that. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that was one where I'd watched it. And I'm just like, why did I? Why? It's something that you hear about. People are like, oh, you got to watch Guinea Pig. It's that extreme. was probably it's crazy. that was probably recommended to you after you started your fucked up film club. Right. <laughs> so we're not on here recommending that anyone seek out Guinea Pig. If you've already seen it, fine. But we are definitely not promoting guinea pig. <laughs> and there's there's also uh, movies out there that are way worse than any of those movies. Yeah. With the, there's always something worse. Of course, yeah. Like with the torture porn movies, I think um, you know they were they were when they first came out, they had some merit to to them. But I think it became repetitive and did end up becoming boring because the movies were favoring the the scenes of that gratuitous violence up close and trying to make you scream and squirm yeah. more than um, having interesting characters or a story that, yeah. we, you know. So and like this one, the reason why I like that final climax of the movie where she's sawing his feet off, it's not for the effects of seeing this foot come off it's the sound it's the her reaction his reaction mm -hmm. and you're getting all of that and you're not just getting five full minutes where the camera focuses in on this foot being sawed off you get a hint of that briefly but not very long yeah the majority of that scene is her and how gleeful she looks yeah you're right and the reason why that whole scene worked was um, what we were saying before is it's this build up to mm -hmm. it's like, who is this mysterious person? We know there's something wrong with her. Yeah. But we don't know exactly what she's going to do or how sick she is, how tortured she is until we see that final scene. Yeah. And because of the mystery and the sort of general unease of the first part of the movie that last scene really hits you hard yeah very impactful yeah okay so 
now versus then, because it this one came out in the 90s, would you say that this is a pumpkin, Twinkie, or wine? <laughs> Wait, explain to me. I will. What does it mean to be a pumpkin, a Twinkie, or a wine? Okay, so if it's like a fine wine, some things get better with age. So maybe it wasn't received that well when it was made, but it got better over time. Twinkies don't go bad, apparently. So or maybe they do. Who cares? Uh, so Twinkies are just as good as they were back then. Uh, or is it a pumpkin? One of those that looks cool at first and then slowly over time withers into a moldy mush. <laughs> I think um, for audition, I'm somewhere in between Twinkie and wine. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to give it a wine. You think it's gotten better? I think I'm able to appreciate it more now having looked back at it rather than, you know, when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. I'm able to appreciate a little bit more of the nuances of, mm -hmm. of the film having seen it. This is a movie that I think I could watch again. Like, yeah. I, I think if it were like not tomorrow. Right. I think I could watch this movie a few times or like, you know, once every few years or something. Yeah, and, and notice more. Right. Pick up something else in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I really enjoyed it. I love the mood and the the pacing. Some people might find it to be a little slow and boring or confusing because of this sort of like tonal shifts. Yeah. And there are two separate dream sequences. Those are a little confusing. I they will have are. to admit because there's this actually there's just a bit of confusion as to like, is the whole final act a dream or not? And Takashi Miike said people do ask him that. And he's like, no, it's not entirely a dream. There are definitely dream sequences that happen, but there are also things that happen in real time. Because there is that moment where he wakes up in the second dream sequence and you're supposed to think, oh, was the whole movie a dream sequence? And now he's back in bed on his romantic getaway. Yeah. And the... And Asami's like, oh, you're going to propose? I accept. And he's like, okay. But then he comes to and you realize, okay, no, that was just dream sequence number two. Yeah. I think because he has that final scene kind of shot in a real time um, mm -hmm. structure that it seems like it's not a dream sequence. Yeah. Whereas the other ones were kind of cut together and characters floating in and out and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Is this a pumpkin, Twinkie, or wine? You know, because this was my first time seeing it, I can't really say, oh, but right. I can see <laughs> how this would be a wine for you. I feel like college me would have perhaps missed a lot of the nuances, still enjoyed it, mm -hmm. but uh, more post-college me would call this a wine because I feel like there would have been things like you said that I would have picked up on more having yeah. seen this now as opposed to then. Well, did you did you feel that Audition was a movie that was hyped up for you? And do you think that it lived up to the hype? It was definitely hyped up because I have seen it on many posts on the Instagram. I've seen it on many lists and it's referenced at least for her final outfit quite a bit. Mm hmm. And I feel like it still has lived up to my expectations. Um, I, even though it's been so hyped up watching it for the first time, it was just as good, if not better than what I thought it was going to be. Mm. A lot different than what I thought. I did not expect everything that happened. What were you expecting? I definitely was not expecting this whole, like, let's set up a rom-com of we're trying to hoodwink women into going on this fake audition. <laughs> 
I thought it was going to be an actual audition that she didn't get the part for, but then the director slept with her. And then she's like, well, I'm going to get you back and I'm going to come to your house and torture you for a long time. I thought it was going to be, yeah, more of a basic revenge plot. Like you didn't cast me and you used me for sex and now I'm going to torture you. Yeah. So I thought it was going to be just like that, but there was so much more to it than that. I mean, I guess that did happen. That was an element, but that wasn't just the plot. Yeah. And then going back to the question from the beginning, do you think that she went to the audition seeking a new victim or do you think that she just happened to find a new victim? Okay. Now I like this question. So I think she like half and half. I think she went to the audition knowing that there would be some shady men that would notice her and try to take her out. I do think she has a thirst for what she does uh, and she tries to rationalize it by almost baiting them. She does want to go on these dates and get to know the person but almost as a way to bait them. So that way she can rationalize chopping their feet off <laughs> because I think she's gotten to the point where she has to look how happy she was when she was sawing off his feet. That's true. That is her happy place. That was her happy place. And she can't just do that to anyone. She has to do that to somebody who she thinks deserves it. <laughs> and Ayama kind of deserved it because he lied to her, which that's a no-no for her, even though she lies a little mm -hmm. hypocritical, but she doesn't like lying because she cuts out people's tongues when they lie to her. And she doesn't like when people love others and not her. Even, even his son, she's like, oh, you love your son. You broke that rule. Now you're going to lose your foot. <laughs> so her rules, I think this happens to a lot of serial killers where over time their morals become or their rules become more and more loose. Mm. So it's like maybe initially she was like, okay, more forgiving. But now that she's been doing this for so long, she's like, all right, you love your son, done. <laughs> Kill you. Do you think that this story is sort of like a sweet revenge for those women who don't get the part? She actually did get the part. She even says living out the movie. She even says in his second dream sequence, like, I don't care that I didn't get the part of the heroine in the movie because I already feel like I did because I am going to be your wife. So she said something like, I'm going to be the real life heroine. I'm going to be the real life heroine yeah. <laughs> in your life. Um, I mean, that's what I think Aoyama was hoping she would feel like after he came clean about the, the fake audition. Yeah. I think he's thinking like, well, in the long run, you're going to be happy because... You get a part in my movie <laughs> called My Life. Anyway, should we move on to our award ceremony? Yes, ceremony? let's get into the award ceremony. All right, let's start with the golden gut. Who or what gets the golden gut for the film? Is it going to be the one of the actors, the score, certain scene? What gets your golden gut for audition? You know, I was in between the performance of Aishina, who plays Asami, and the sound effects. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to give it to that one particular scene where she's sawing off her foot. Because there you get the sound effects and you get her gleeful face as she's just rapidly trying to, like, get this foot off. <laughs> so that entire moment of her performance and the sound of the wire going through his foot was just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and then how she tosses the foot 
over her shoulder and it hits the window. She's kind of like, whatever. Yeah, just so carelessly, like, whatever, done, next one. Yeah. Love that whole scene. That gets my golden gut. <laughs> that was pretty amazing. I'm 100% agreeing with you, but <laughs> I'm going to give my golden gut to Aisheena. Mm -hmm. um, just overall, she played this character so incredibly well. She had this look on her face when we were first meeting the character where it looked like she had her um, like a sort of forced smile. Uh, it looked like I said earlier that it looked like she was stoned. Oh, but it's yeah. like she had this kind of like forced little sneaky smile the whole time. Mm -hmm. And her lines were sometimes robotic or sounded scripted. Yeah. But then when she is doing the torture, she has that glee. And, you know, the scene that you're describing was, was amazing as well. So she gets my golden gut. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. All yes. right. Who gets your best intestine? So who gets the award for best, saddest or most gut wrenching death? There weren't that many. I will give my best intestine scene to the moment when Asami is slicing the head off her perverted uncle. Mm -hmm. I don't want to like say I'm giving that guy an award because he's <laughs> such an awful character, but you feel almost so satisfied when she's slicing through his head and his head just like pops off and rolls onto the piano. She does like one final little slice and she like kind of raises her hand like, wow. Yeah. And it hits the piano and ding. Yeah. And then rolls onto the ground. And even though that was a dream sequence, you still kind of have the feeling that that probably did happen. <laughs> so for that moment, yeah, that gets my best intestines for that death scene. Yeah. All right. I agree with you 100% mm -hmm. there. <laughs> yeah. What get what element or character would you give the axe to? What would you cut from the film? You know what? It's not huge, but I would probably cut the scene of Shigeku as a seven-year-old or a 10-year-old bringing his mom that cake that says, get well soon. Because I kind of felt like that was indicating that he was going to have a bigger role and that he made this project and he actually was late to his mom dying. I don't know why he was going by himself for mm -hmm. one, but I was kind of confused by that scene. I was like, oh, poor Shigeku. He showed up after his mom died. No one took him to the hospital. Why wasn't his dad with him? It was kind of confusing. And I also thought that maybe he was a little girl and that that was Asami. <laughs> so just to eliminate that confusion, we can still have, you know, Shigeku already there and Aoyama with his wife as she passes. Mm -hmm. But the whole dramatic scene of Shigeku showing up at the hospital with his grand cake or project for his dying mom didn't need that. <laughs> so very minor, but it was just enough to be confusing and not enough to contribute to the plot in any way. You know, I'm having a little bit of a hard time deciding on what element to give the axe to, because on one hand, it's like, yeah, but maybe I want to give the axe to the to the creepy uncle just because he creeped me out. Yeah. But he is essential to the story. Yeah. And you need to have that cathartic moment where you chop his head off. Yeah. Or you wire his head off. <laughs> oh, you know what? Where he's jacking off in the dream sequence. Do we need that? Okay, fine. I'll I'll give my axe to... I mean, that was disturbing. So that's It was like, very disturbing. Yeah. Because he is... He's masturbating while she's doing something very twisted. I can't remember what it was. It starts to get real twisted at that point. There's yeah. even the little girl like um, like kind of touching the torch, the the captive, the captive guy in the bag. 
There's all oh, kinds yeah. of twisted stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, you know, okay, so I think I would give the axe to man, it's so hard to decide. I, I really almost want to give it to um like the 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 song in the final credits. No, I Does that loved count? it. <laughs> yeah, it counts. <laughs> um just a, a little too peppy. Too jarring. After that like really heavy All right. scene. Yeah. So I'm I mean, I liked it too, but I couldn't really think of anything else that I really wanted to give the axe yeah. to. I mean, yeah. I kind of agree with you in saying that that first scene was maybe a little unnecessary. Mm -hmm. There were some elements about the dream sequence that were confusing to me, mm -hmm. but I don't think you can cut the whole dream sequence. No. So maybe I would use the axe to um, make the dream sequence maybe a little more cohesive, just slightly, just, just slightly, barely. A little tid, slightly yeah. more cohesive. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, I don't know what my actual answer was for that. So I'm just going to give it to the end credit. The end credits. Song, yeah. All right. End credits and the beginning little boy cake moment. <laughs> Not a lot. Honestly, I really enjoyed most of the film. I do feel like even those like unsavory moments were kind of needed to make right. you really side with this person who's doing terrible things. Yeah. The second kidney. What character would you like to see in a sequel or a spinoff of Audition? It's easy. It's Asami. Asami? She doesn't die. Her neck's fine. She gets a little neck brace. She meets up with Annie Wilkes and they go on a road trip together. <laughs> it's like a uh, traveling sisterhood of the Yaya pants. Of the, the <laughs> <laughs> Yaya pants? Yeah. What's that movie? <laughs> I know I got some of the words right. You got some words in there. Yeah. Most of the words sisterhood right. of the no, traveling pants. Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and the Yaya Sisterhood. It's two different things. Yeah. Um, let's see. I'll give the second kidney to the son. Maybe we need to see what Shigeko? his... Yeah, Shigeku. Maybe mm. we need to see what his life is going to be like after this traumatic event. In his, oh. Yeah. Maybe he becomes a torturer himself. But he was never tortured. He just walked in on torture. Yeah. If he becomes a torturer from that, I'm like, come on, dude. <laughs> Grow up. Okay, fine. <laughs> Maybe he goes to auditions and becomes like an enforcer of proper audition etiquette. He goes to verify that the movie is actually being made. Okay. And that the um, the people who are involved in the audition are being treated well and fairly. It's like one of those like uh, sexual harassment videos that you have to watch when you get a new job. Yeah, it's basically an HR training video. It's an HR audition training. Audition too. All right. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that was my HR training video at my new job, I'd be like, all right, it's going to be a good job. <laughs> all right. And overall blockbuster rating is this going in the back alley dumpster is it in the bargain bin the main shelf or a staff pick audition is a staff pick for me for yeah, sure i know this is a staff pick for me too this was very enjoyable it lived up to the hype and yeah. especially if you're say like you're featuring asian horror mm -hmm. audition is definitely there in the in the top realm the yeah. top rings yeah top top somethings mm -hmm. of um of asian horror although there's so many good ones is there anything that you learned from watching audition <laughs> i learned that um man the dating scene is rough rough <laughs> but don't take the easy way out you have to get out there and you have to try you have to put in effort anytime you go and you just like shortcut something 
it will get you in the end. Yeah. In the words of Ryu Murakami, if you try to get a girlfriend, if you hold auditions, hold on. <laughs> you really flubbed that. Hold up. on. In the words of Ryu Murakami, if you try to hold auditions to get a girlfriend, you will be killed. <laughs> End of lesson. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that lesson. All Thomas. right. So that about does it for this episode. If you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, follow, give us a rating, or you can send us an email at gunnedhorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're interested, check out our Patreon page and give us suggestions about what movies you want us to cover next. All right. Thank you for watching and or listening. This has been another episode of Gutted. Gutted.